0: Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. If software is truly eating the world, then software release management determines how quickly it can chew. For better or worse, just writing code is not enough. Software engineering teams have to manage large, complex code bases with lots of dependencies, all while trying to move fast. Rob Zuber, the CTO of CircleCI, knows this world inside and out. CircleCI helps companies get innovation to the market faster and with better quality, and Rob is passionate about how data is a big part of that picture. So without any further ado, let's dig in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Masters of Data podcast, and I'm uh, lucky to be here in San Francisco with a great view of the Bay Bridge and uh, Treasure Island out there with the CTO of CircleCI, Rob Zuber. Thanks for having me here, Rob. Thanks for taking the time to come over and join us. Absolutely. I mean, if, if I if I had this view, I don't know if I could get much work done. Uh, and uh, you know, as we always do, uh, you know, you know, our, you and I were talking a little bit before, but I uh, you know love to kind of tell us a little bit, definitely about you know what Circle CI is, what you guys do, and why you exist. I think we we can definitely talk about that, and also like why you. Can what's your story? Where did you come from? Unless you just emerged fully fudged uh, engineer from the womb,
1: I'm assuming that didn't yeah, happen. That so. most definitely did not happen. That most <laughs> so what, definitely what... did not happen. I'm pretty sure I'm still not there. Uh, Give <laughs> me both, buddy. <laughs> it's 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 a journey, right? That's what makes it fun. Yeah, I'll start with that, and I'll talk a little bit about Circle CI. So, actually, maybe I'll, I'll just mix them together yeah. a little bit. So. Uh, here at CircleCI, we do um, continuous integration, continuous deployment for um, software teams all over the world, and we do that primarily uh, within a cloud offering. But we also have a, an on-prem or behind the firewall solution that um, that our customers run for themselves. So I'll talk a little bit about my journey in in CI and CD and how I ended up here.
0: And I guess for like the there's probably some people in here that don't they're not real familiar with that term. So that's basically mm-hmm. getting engineers releasing code. Faster and getting innovations out to their customers faster.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're we're aiming to take uh, the process of CI and CD, which I'll describe in just a second, and make it accessible and easy for everyone to give them the confidence in the software they're delivering, but allow them to focus on their core business value. Right? Unless you are Circle CI, your business value is not building CI tools; it's right. shipping whatever you're building for your customers. Right? Um, and so it's a uh, it's a very valuable process and it helps customers, or helps software developers, whatever, deliver effectively with confidence, but it's not the thing we want them to spend all their time yeah. on, right? So that's what we do on their behalf. And specifically, continuous integration, the process of basically we're working on a team, we're each individually building some software, and we want to merge that together as quickly as possible, you know, multiple times per day, and s- determine that all of our software is continuing to function effectively. Um, I've been around long enough that I've worked in places where we would build for six months and then try to merge everything together, (laughs) and there would be another three months of merging, which is, I mean, to think about that now is comical, but at the time, it seemed perfectly reasonable. What else could you possibly do? And And then continuous deployment is basically extending that even further to just pushing your stuff into production. When we talk about continuous deployment, we often think in terms of SaaS, right, where it's I, I want to say simple. It's relatively straightforward to be able to update regularly if you have the tools and the confidence. It doesn't work quite as well in, in mobile apps and stuff like that, but at least always. We, we also talk about continuous delivery, which is always having something that could be deployed, right. right? You've always got a package that's releasable, and then you just say, oh, today's the day. Let's ship what we have. We'll push it to Apple to do their validation and put it into the App yeah. Store or whatever.
0: Well, I mean, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but tell me if this makes sense. I mean, uh, sometimes the way I've explained this, I mean companies can't innovate if they don't get this right right like you can't get your Whatever it is you do if you make a mobile app for a farmer or you make a you know a game on an iPhone like you're you still The the longer it takes you to get something that you know innovative to
1: your customers is very dependent on being able to get this process Right, right. I think that's exactly right and I think it's true in kind of two ways one is One thing that slows you down is just spending your time doing these kinds of things, either manually or kind of building your own tools or whatever. And the other is your competitors, right? Even if you just had this idea, someone else has had it somewhere else, right? And so the the first person to really get that into the hands of of some potential customers, learn from those customers, adapt, adjust, find product market fit and grow from there. Like getting through that cycle as quickly as possible is about delivering iterations of software as quickly as possible, and that's what we're
0: we're helping customers do. Mm-hmm. Great. So, what was before
1: this? this? Right. So I didn't do a very good job of intermingling my no, story oh in no, there, no, but no. It's, it's all right.
0: It's good. You're passionate um, about it. It's good. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Exactly. You can tell that I spend some time thinking, <laughs> think thinking about, this, about this a this bit. particular issue. Yeah. So. I mean, I've been in software since the late '90s. Uh, what I like to refer to as the first dot-com boom. I feel like we're probably in the second somewhere. We yeah, never know where you are exactly in that. Uh, and so, I've been doing this a long time, and I've been through a lot of different cycles. I mean, I've, I've worked in almost every kind of software: consumer electronics, telco, really long build cycles, sales cycles. You know, writing documents for six or nine months before you even started writing code, sort of thing. Um, And I've definitely seen the the dark side of how software gets built. Um, And through that time, you know, evolved kind of my own thinking and saw changes in in industry. And and that was all very cool. And in 2011, started working on a company that was in a consumer space. But that was the first time that I started using continuous deployment. And actually, my co-founder of that company, well, get to how we got here, is the CEO of CircleCI now. So we were building a consumer product. We had some great experiences, but we didn't find product market fit in the end. And we started iterating on ideas around it. And we built a bunch of mobile apps around late 2013, early 2014, when everyone was starting to focus on mobile first as kind of the approach to the market. And we found building mobile apps really challenging from a tooling perspective and felt like there were some gaps. So we actually built a iOS and, and mobile CI CD platform at the beginning of 2014, and then in mid-2014 realized, in order to build mobile apps effectively, you also need to build a back-end, and we had no solution for the back-end, and we met the folks from CircleCI who were basically building CI for everything else but didn't have a mobile solution, and so we were acquired basically into CircleCI in 2014. The company was pretty small. We were under 20 people then. Uh, We're about 300 now. And so Jim and I have been here ever since sort of growing and, you know, the company has grown, but we also grew and, and took on bigger roles inside the company. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting or it's been a very interesting kind of ride for me going from very consumer oriented, honestly, working on a, a product where I didn't understand the customer that well to one that is so focused on my own day-to-day needs and experience has been really, really fun, really cool. And, and just solving that problem, that core problem of shipping software faster. I mean, as someone who's done many different startups over time, and and to your point that you raised earlier, just being able to get stuff out in front of customers faster, learn faster, iterate quickly, all of those things really speak to me in terms of both what I like to do in terms of building products to solve customer need, and also what I like to do in terms of just building software, right? And taking away some things that are less exciting, you know, I have some some dark memories of staying up all night, mashing buttons, trying to get builds to go through to get stuff out into production, because we had to build all this stuff ourselves, and it was all kind of held together with duct tape. And so being able to solve that problem for people is really fun for me.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I think there is um, sometimes even people that are closer to this problem, there's a, there's a lot of assumptions about how hard it is to do this. And I think some people think you put a bunch of engineers in a room, start writing code, and you'll be all good. Mm-hmm. But getting this. whole release process down, it's it's not easy.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, going back to having done this and and you said before that you were around the same time in the industry, like we've we've been through a lot of change, right? And every year, every few years, we we find a new way to kind of stand on the shoulders of giants, abstract ourselves a little more from the complexities of building software. Um, And we are in a, we're in a world where you know, you can learn some basic kind of JavaScript development and go build a really cool product. And that's based on a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that has kind of gone by in the past. But a huge part of what allows us to do that is tools like that. I mean, not just the things that we do, but, you know, being able to deploy servers in the cloud. I mean, click a button and you've got a computer in a data center somewhere, right? I mean, I've gotten on a plane and flown to a data center with my toolkit and racked boxes and put in cables. And I mean, you just don't even have to think about that or understand it anymore. So it's it's a very cool, I love saying, you know, it's a great time to be alive, but it's it's a cool time in terms of the the development and, and also seeing all of that, you know, as you have in terms of where we've come from and then trying to think about, okay, so what does the next 20 years look like in terms of how we build software? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. Because I mean, it's, I feel like, like you said, I, you know, my first job was at a company called LoudCloud. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember a lot of what we were doing a lot of this stuff early on, but we had no idea. I mean, we were trying to make it work, you know, bigger, better, faster, and look at the kind of stuff you can accomplish nowadays. It's pretty amazing how far the industry's come.
1: Right. The things that have gone from sort of innovative, right, this is a, this is a really cool idea. You know, let's do continuous integration to... Basically, I just I just buy that off the shelf now and focus on the next problem and the next problem, right? Like when you look at I don't know if this is a common expression, but we I often we talk about tech, right? Like we work in tech, but I look at companies like Lyft as an example. I mean, in a lot of cases, let's not talk about self-driving cars, but. Ultimately, they took some people with phones and connected them to some other people with phones, right? All of the technology work had been done. <laughs> right, right, right. GPS and like cameras on phones and mapping and like turn by turn, all this stuff had been solved. And they just said, oh, if we take these two people and put them together, there's a marketplace here. And that's really cool, right? So, the you know, if you think 20 years ago, would you have thought to yourself... Oh, you know what we should do? We should just get these two people with phones together, and one of them can drive with the other, or whatever, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's uh, no. You're absolutely. You're absolutely right. And and um, you know one one thing to um, you know as, as we were you know connected earlier. I mean, I it one of the things I noticed about the way you guys approach things. You are you know a data driven company. It seems like you know, and that's that's really important for this industry in general. But it, it seems like that's a big part of. Driving, you know, a, you know really CI CD process that works as well something I talk a little bit because I mean one thing You guys had a report that you did and talk a little bit about that I mean, how do you think about data in that process?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's uh, there's multiple levels to that yeah. First of all just as what I often refer to as single player mode meaning I'm just here using the capabilities I have a software project. I'm using the yeah. capabilities of CI and CD I can get useful information and data just about how I'm operating meaning things like how long does it take my build to run because the time that i spend doing that is time i'm you know i'm sort of waiting for my build to complete as opposed to focusing on the next thing right yeah. so the shorter that can be the more work i can get done in any given day and the more i can sort of stay focused on the thing i'm trying to do and so just that kind of feedback. Oh, well, your, your build is taking a lot of time. You could try doing this instead, or here's where the time's being spent, yeah. so maybe you could optimize that part of your process, like those sorts of things. Again, very focused on an individual project. But what's really interesting, I and mean, personally for me and, and for our customers at CircleCI, is we are doing this for so many people that we can then see trends across teams, across the industry, and then partition based on you know, people using particular language stacks or particular, you know, approaches or the types of things they're building, meaning, um, you know, basically build time is one of my favorite examples because it's so simple. Everyone talks about it and people have a very broad spectrum of views about what is reasonable. Right. And so just being able to say, hey, you know what, this takes you this long. Did you know that 90% of the people actually do that in half the time? Like maybe there's something you should be looking at there Mm -hmm. or, your tests are flakier than other people's. Like that just really basic but interesting stuff like that. And seeing that that big picture view is really interesting for us. And then trends over time, again, as a team, right? So as a an engineering manager, it's interesting to me to know that we're failing more often, or so maybe people aren't paying as much attention to what they're doing, or we're getting more conflicts. Maybe there's more complexity in our code as it evolves. Yeah. Okay, so that's the symptom. Like We should dig down into that a little bit and understand it better. But also, again, going to that kind of industry benchmark, Like people talk a lot about how often are we deploying, right? So being able to say, okay, we, we as a team are deploying five times a day, or it takes us this amount of time to get from you know, when we actually implement some code to when it gets deployed. I mean, these are things that people are trying to reduce or manage around just as a sense of their own throughput, their own delivery, right? So we talked about earlier, just CI and CD being an enabler for effective software delivery, but really being able to put some numbers around that and understand, like, are we allowing it to enable us, right? And I think that's something that we've honestly often struggled with in engineering, not necessarily just around CI and CD, but if you look at estimation and point velocity and stuff like that, we're always interested in understanding our process, but at the same time, always struggling with the fact that the process is a little inconsistent, right? Like estimation amongst engineers is sort of a classic discussion point, right? (laughs) Like, why are you even bothering to ask me? I don't know, I won't know until I'm done how long it was gonna take, right? but being able to get a little bit tighter and say, oh, well, if we're really bad at estimating all the time, that could be a sign that our software is too complex, right? Like what is it that's preventing us from being able to understand what it's gonna take to get this delivered that's therefore driving to these wildly you know, inaccurate estimates? And I think that there are similar analogies in CI and CD. Like why, are, why do we always have broken builds, right? Why, why do we keep make, breaking the master default branch it's usually a sign that people don't understand enough about the software to be able to confidently introduce something you know a change sort of right. thing right so i think seeing that from a an analytical perspective like that is really eye-opening enriching for all of us in the industry
0: what do you do you think is there is there an openness to that because i mean I, I i totally get what you're saying about um you know there's a yeah the, the whole game of estimation is a perfect example but. Do you feel like teams are craving that and don't have it, or is there? I mean, how, how? Like, what kind of feedback do you? I mean, from your own customers and what you've seen. I mean, what is that yeah. something that they're looking for?
1: Absolutely, I think who is looking for it is a really good indicator of engineering culture. Oh. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah, by yeah. by who I mean like upper management versus the team, oh. right? And so that I think that's one of the most interesting dynamics around engineering teams and, and culture as a whole is being able and we're certainly not perfect at this but but being able to get to a place where where you're helping an engineering team right sort of i sees you know people working directly on a piece of the product see how they can use data to think about and improve their own experience like as as an engineer just as personally as a software developer i find rapid delivery of value exciting yeah. right like saying, Hey, you know, I woke up this morning and I thought of a thing and I wrote it and I put it in front of customers by this afternoon. And now I have feedback. Maybe the feedback is they hate it, but now I can change it and do something else, right? Like that rate of delivery, especially again, as someone who wrote documents for nine months before they were allowed to write the first line of code. I mean, that is exhilarating, right? And rewarding. And so sort of getting a a taste of that for lack of a better expression and being able to see, oh, this is actually really fun. Now, how can I use this information to improve my process, right? Like as we have retros as a team, sit down and discuss and say, hey, we didn't move a lot of stuff out this week, What does that tell us, right? Did we invest a bunch of time in technical debt where we held up because we couldn't get the documentation or we have some dependency on another team and we should have a discussion about like why, why are we so dependent on another group to be able to get our own work done? Like it exposes a lot of interesting stuff and being kind of mindful of that data and thinking about the data in that way is really empowering. But it can come, it can feel the other way, right? Which is, Someone's looking at me and measuring me and you know, they're looking at how many times I deploy this week And that either feels like they're really trying to help me because I mean as a manager if teams are struggling to deploy. I want to know why that is because I want to fix those problems so they can get more work done and enjoy that exhilarating experience of delivering value. But as a developer who's maybe not deploying as much, I'm thinking, uh-oh, am I in trouble? For like an right. intrusion. Right. Maybe I should just deploy some unimportant things to get my numbers <laughs> up, right? And that's always the challenge. I mean, it's always the challenge with data is do people end up feeling measured and therefore game the system, or try to just move the number, and it ends up being the wrong number, right? Like I will do unnatural things to move a number, versus I'm just using that information to inform myself and my team, so we can be better at what we want to be good at in the first place. Oh,
0: that's that's you know, it's really interesting the way you describe it because I'm always thinking, I'm trying to think about the right way to describe it, but you know, data is, is maybe it's the it's the oil that makes the you know the functioning machine work better, but it's you know culture is still what drives it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, I I know like having been around with the you know when DevOps apparently emerged, you know <laughs> I think yeah. we were doing it before, uh, but you know all the discussions like all people always talked about the tools, mm-hmm. and so like, oh, go I can use Chef, I can use Puppet I can use this I can use that and there was I think there's even today I feel like sometimes we we get we get lost in oh I can use this widget where it's really like you know. Look, you you do have to make those cultural changes. You have to think about it's still people mm-hmm. doing stuff. I mean, yeah, do you,
1: do you, I mean do you see that? Is that what you see? Or? Absolutely. I think that you're you're really onto something like from a culture perspective, if you can build a great culture, then you can enable those teams and magic will happen. Right, but if you just throw tools at a bad culture, you just have a bunch of people distrusting the tools and the other people around them. Right, like you yeah. can't you can't solve culture with tools, but you can definitely enable a great culture and a great teams with with great tools, and with great data.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, and, and I think it's um, well, it's one of those things. If you have a great culture where people are willing to ask those questions, but you don't have the data to actually help them make mm. informed decisions, you know, they're not gonna. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, and I and I well, I guess that's part of the thing. With a platform like yours, do you do you feel like having the platform actually helps in that maturation cultural process? I mean, what kind of interactions do you have with your your customers in that in that sense? Because I, I guess in some sense you you have to have like a I don't know I don't, we uh, we'll use a science term or somebody You have to have like the substrate to grow your culture on. But like you got to have something that kind of
1: drives that right culture. Do you find that like having a tool like CircleCI actually helps that? Or yeah, I think there's a few things that kind of combine together, right? Like having the culture, the curiosity to try to improve, yeah. right? Sort of a, a mindset of continuous improvement and then some automation to support it. Right. And then that, that kind of feedback loop goes around. Right. Right. We get a little bit better culturally. We build a little bit of trust, invest in some automation, some tooling. We get some feedback on how that's working. And then because we have trust, we have open conversations and say, Hey, you know what? That was actually terrible. Yeah. Right. That was, we all made a mistake. Right. And And that's fine because now we have that information and we can do something better, right? But again, tying in culture there, like if we just deploy some tools and it doesn't work and it didn't really improve anything, but someone feels like they really put their reputation on the line by making that decision versus, hey, we're all in this together. Let's just try some things and see what works. Then you become defensive about that decision, like whatever, we're talking about tools or data, or whatever it is that you're trying to change, and then you get locked into that decision versus being kind of experimenting and trying to see what works, right? Um, and I think that you see the same thing at a product level, right? When you talk about, uh, I talked earlier about sort of rapid, well, this was before, but about like rapid iteration right. and trying to discover a product and, and find yeah. product market fit and those sorts of things. If you don't have that kind of openness and trust in that world, then you end up sticking to bad decisions, right? Rather than saying, well, the data is clearly telling us that our customers don't want this, let's go figure out what they do want. You know, it's like, this was my opinion and therefore I'm gonna stand behind my opinion. I, I, um, for completely other reasons, have been talking a lot recently about sort of data versus narrative. And being able to kind of unwind narratives, right, because those are expressions of people's opinions and say, let's just put all the data on the table and come to an agreement about what this data means, right? Whether you're product planning, analyzing your market strategy, looking at how your CI and CD stuff runs. I mean, look, we have real data. Let's put it down discuss the data, if we can agree on that, then we should be able to form an opinion together versus you and I are just sitting here debating my opinion versus your opinion. And then it's sort of like whoever's loudest wins. And then again, it turns out I'm wrong because I was louder or I was, you know, I'm wrong, but I was the one who won the argument. Now I'm gonna stand behind it even though I'm clearly wrong, right? So I think in all senses, when you have the culture that drives that open conversation, then whether it's data or tools or process or whatever, being willing to just put it all on the table and say, how do we think it's working? What could we do better? I mean, that that is really empowering. And without the culture to support it, it's, none of it works.
0: Yeah, I think it's really good. Because yeah, I've definitely kind of been in this industry myself. I think that's always kind of discussion you get back into. I think there's a, you know, definitely when leaders are thinking to try to push the organizations forward, there's a there's a tendency to think that if I buy the right tools and I invest, you invest there. But you if you don't, actually encourage that really fragile culture, it's mm-hmm. it's very hard to mm-hmm. you know, see success. Uh, so so one thing, you know, is uh, making a little bit of a, a switch here. So as part of what you guys were doing in this report, it's, it sounds like, so maybe tell us a little bit about the process because it sounds like you guys looked at some of the things that your customers were doing and kind of, you know, pulled together some insights out of that. So tell me a little bit more about the yeah. process Wes.
1: So we're, I mean, we, Sit on a treasure trove of data, if you will. I mean, um, so from a, a process perspective, we have the opportunity to just look at stuff internally, you know, in aggregate across our customer base, and say, you know, what what is interesting to us. And there were some things that that were interesting, um, some things that were expected, and some things that were surprising. I think yeah. as we sat down and and um, looked at stuff, like. We actually found that the, the rate at which people's stuff flows through, we talked about build time before, right? right? Like, that it was actually pretty fast. And we, you know, cause we, we notice outliers. I think when you're operating a system like ours, I mean, it's like trying to read the matrix, right? There's a lot of stuff <laughs> going by at any given time. So you right, notice right. the things that really stand out. Like yeah. why, you know, we obviously have lots of customers with jobs that run for hours because that's what we notice. Right? What we don't notice is the thousands and thousands of jobs that are running by really quickly and all the people that are just getting their, you know, their work done all day long. And so when we sat down and looked at you know, time to kind of build, that was much faster than we actually expected on average. One of the things that was kind of interesting and stood out was recovery time. Right? And we talk a lot about that in terms of, I mean, you hear about this everywhere, particularly on default branches, like or master branch, I think, okay. and Git terminology is what you would normally call it. And this expectation that people, as soon as there's a, a breakage on, on a master branch, like everybody drops what they're doing and fixes it. And that's usually what happens in a great culture, but we see a, a broad distribution, right? Sometimes because the project is not important. I mean, this is, it's a little bit difficult to read into the minds of your customer and say, oh, maybe this isn't important. Right. And many people have kind of their their production code, but are also building, yeah. you know, tools and side projects and things where they can say, you know what? I was just working on that all day. It's fine. It's broken. It's five o'clock. I'm out like I don't need to stay here all night and make sure that's working again. But we also see some some differences in behavior in terms of how teams operate. Right. From that respect, like if it's if something's broken at the end of the day or people sticking around to to make sure that it's up and running, right. I think. I mean, this is now conjecture, but we, we talked before we started about how distributed the Circle CI team is, right? We have engineers all over the world working on the same code bases. And so there is no end of the day, right? If I create an issue, right, like break the, the build at the end of my day, I can't rely on the fact that no one's going to work on that until tomorrow morning kind of thing because there might yeah. be someone, you know, in Europe who's going to get up eight oh, hours okay. before me. And so I have to make sure that I've got that fixed. And so maybe some teams, I mean, I've worked in also entirely co-located teams, right? You look around and everyone says, yeah, don't stress. We have nothing important that has to go out tonight. Like we can all agree on that really quickly, but I can't do that in a team that's maybe distributed around the world, right? So, so I would say there were some surprising things that came out in terms of just how people behave around, um, you know, master branch or whatever. Um, but overall what we found was very effective software delivery. I mean, we're, it wasn't totally surprising to us. That's what we believe in, but customers using our platform and, and delivering software effectively all day, every day. And it's cool to see that in aggregate, but then again, yeah. to see kind of some of the outliers and see, like, I mean, I always talk about build time because it's simple to get your head around, yeah. but the, the range from like minutes even seconds, you know, to hours. And then interesting to dig a little deeper in that and think, you know, what are what are people working on in a way that it's so critical to them that they're, you know, that they're working so quickly and, and able to get that done. And then what kinds of things are people working on where a couple hours is is totally fine, right? And so And some you of those- see that
0: even within, like, I guess, I don't know what your word, but, but like an organization or a customer, like, do you see a lot of variation even within one,
1: Customer of CircleCI or yeah we do and that's you know we're we're, mo- we're looking at most of the stuff in aggregate right, right. Um, but might say okay you know what does the distribution across customers look like right. and I would say it, yes I there was this prior to this particular thing there was a separate um, data set that I pulled I think it was a couple of years ago now for a conference talk I looked at behavior patterns and then said, is this, is this specifically associated with organizations? You know, do organizations behave in a particular way? Mm-hmm. And it didn't really prove to be the case. And so I think that's, again, many organizations will have tens, hundreds of repos that are building on CircleCI. And some of them will be like, this is our production system, you know, and there's like 50 engineers that work on this. And if anybody breaks every, anything, 49 other engineers are stuck. And then there's, I'm building a little tool to try to automate something, and I haven't even pushed it into any system yet. And if it's broken right now, who cares? And I only work on it once a week or whatever. And so you kind of get this sense of what are the really important projects within an organization. And then everybody has this distribution that's like, we don't, we behave differently around this because it's, a side project or, like, a 20% time or something like that, or there's only a few people working on it, you know, those sorts of things.
0: Oh, yeah, that's, that's that's super interesting. So you could almost, over time, you'd be able to almost predict what something is based on, like, the behavior around it, like, to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've never spent time on that, but it, it is interesting. We do, when we, when we try to look at data sets, particularly, like, a, a lot of this is about us trying to understand how to better serve our customers. Right, right. Look at all this stuff in aggregate and say, you know, how are our customers behaving? And then look for patterns that might be like, these particular customers are struggling, right? There's something about the system or about our product that's not enabling them the way that we've enabled these other customers, right? But then we would zoom in a little bit and say, oh, this cluster actually just looks like people are goofing around. Yeah, And it's not that we haven't enabled them, or like their usage dies off and we say oh those are those are sample projects like some people will join circle ci take some simple sample project they have run it for a couple weeks till they figure out how circle ci works and then, and then go it. use it on the real project and we're looking at that sample project thinking where did they go but where they where they went was they put a bunch of people using a big project and actually getting their day daily work done but they don't want to start by testing it out with mm. that you know, the main project of their company because they're gonna be breaking stuff that other people are, you know, trying to get done. It's
0: yeah, something. no, so. that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, one of you know I ask is when I, some previous things that I did at Sumo Logic, I remember we would analyze, like trying to find those clusters of behaviors and see mm-hmm. how people evolve over time. I think that's kind of stuff is fascinating. Um, yeah, so, you know, kind of everything we talked about, you know, one of the things I always love to ask my guests is kind of like where
1: what are you excited about next? Like, where? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I mean, the the whole realm of data is really fascinating. I feel like we're just scratching the surface in terms mm-hmm. of, um, you know, both enabling our product, like improving the offering that we have through all of everything that we're learning about how our customers use it, uh, as well as giving customers access to more of that themselves, right? To be able to take it and then you know, use it for whatever, like they might find things that we didn't think were particularly interesting, but are interesting to them as a customer, right? So there's a lot around data that I just continue to be excited about in the platform. The rest of what excites me, honestly, in CI and CD is, you know, we've been at this for eight, nine years now. I'm not even sure. I mean, I've personally been doing CI and CD for a long time. And the company has been around for a long time and then we joined together. But um, part of what's made this always interesting, we've always had the same goal, right helping software developers get their products into the hands of customers deliver value learn quickly do all that with confidence but the actual world of software development has changed so much over that time i mean docker is just like a perfect example that didn't exist when circle ci started right so we've changed software development that much right kubernetes was like unheard of So, you know, we were still baking AMIs back in 2011, 2012, right? And so now we're doing containers and orchestration and into serverless and like a world where people don't even think about computers at all. And so their perspective of how, like how software is being delivered is changing. All of our customers are growing their use of data. So like how they integrate and think about really large data sets is changing. Machine learning Actually, hasn't changed that much, but we finally figured out what it was, and so now we're all using it. Right? <laughs> like, uh, right? We were talking about it when I got into software, but no one knew what to do with it. Now it's accessible, right? So, so much is changing and evolving in this space, and just how we think about validating software, people figuring out how to like run things in a production scale, but you know, even test in that environment. So there's there's so much evolving about how we deliver software that uh, you know our our role in that is evolving constantly, even like whether we like it or not, I guess, is the best way to describe it. But because I personally love software, I love the idea of, you know, more interesting, better ways to deliver it. Uh, Being, you know, being in a role where I get to think about how that evolves and then how we evolve in it is just constantly exciting, I guess, for me.
0: No, that's cool. Um, I think think what you guys are doing is really interesting. And Wish you all the luck and thank you for taking the time. This has been a great conversation. I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming by and taking the time as well.
0: Absolutely, and thanks everybody for listening. And as always, uh, rate us and review us on iTunes so other people can find us and look for the next episode in your feed. Thanks everybody.
1: Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. Sumo Logic is a cloud native machine data analytics platform delivering real time continuous intelligence as a service. To build, run, and secure modern applications, Sumo Logic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to SumoLogic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to Master'sOfData.com and subscribe, and spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.